Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are Devendra Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. On this week's episode of the podcast, we got some Slash Filmcast classic going for you. We're going to discuss some what we've been watching and then move on into uh, an in depth review. This week for this podcast, we are reviewing the number one TV show on Netflix right now. Which is called Tiger King, and it's been Evidently number one the, for yep, the most ahead. popular documentary of all time. I'm told self-proclaimed, Jeez. self-proclaimed, according yeah. to <laughs> according to the folks at Netflix, it may very well be the most popular documentary of all time. Now, the metric they're using for that, I'm guessing, is number of people <laughs> that have watched it, right? Because I guess that's how you determine that. Yeah, that I would mean, be you know. I don't know any other metric that's better. <laughs> uh, well, well yeah. no, in Netflix, it's like, did you play it for 15 seconds? That's a view. <laughs> that's a view. I'm gonna count it. Did the trailer uh, activate when you hovered over yeah. it for a second? If so, did you fall asleep and the trailer was repeating? That's a view. <laughs> did you stream it after? Did you accidentally let the stream start yes. after your binge of unorthodox? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, why not? <laughs> so we'll be talking about Tiger King today uh, at at great requ- many requests for this, and I'm eager to talk about it because I think there actually is a lot to dive into, but. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. You can also email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Now, before we get started with any of that stuff, I do want to ask you, gents, how is everything going? You know, we've been doing these kind of check-ins every week to see how life is, because uh, I don't know when you're listening to this. Hopefully, it's far in the distant future when uh, <laughs> COVID-19 has already been cured and <laughs> When we've escaped the-, the planet and, uh, <laughs> Yeah. You're wishing uh, people don't listen to this for a long time. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that's that's correct. Uh, you know, hopefully yeah. we're coming uh, to you from the before time. Uh, no, the after <laughs> times, right? Right? Right after the incident. Yeah. Yes. Right after Chances the incident. are you don't know when you're listening to this because I don't know <laughs> and, when is it. How long have we been doing this? It well, all mushes together. It's it's also like a the malaise. calendar. The calendar will lose all meaning after after a point. You know. So yes. We will just lose count of years and everything. So how how are you guys doing? You know, I, I would say uh, I think I'm I'm starting to settle into uh, our, our routine over here in Seattle a little bit better these days. But uh, yeah, how how are things in New York? What's your Indra? routine, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I I work every day uh, on the weekdays, and then uh, I try to take a walk a day, and then uh, I do some podcasting at night. This generally sounds, uh, sounds nice. <laughs> That's pretty it does nice. sound pretty nice, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many yeah. showers are involved in that in total total per week? Usually uh, at least a few, I would say. At least a few. Yeah, not daily anymore, right? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe, yeah. Uh, you, why do you, you ask, Jeff? I'm just curious because I feel like, uh, you know, <laughs> these things just fall to the wayside. Things like pants and shoes and showering yeah, hygiene. Yeah, I mean, we're, especially if you don't have to take care of other humans, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and it's we're all a, you. I, we're in a post haircut world. I, I did a uh, a little group chat with my with some friends of mine recently, and uh, one of them had just gotten a haircut, and he said, "Remember what? when it mattered what you looked like?" Yeah, <laughs> you know? because uh, people haven't been out in public for a, a this long time. This is how time. the Mad Max, like, this is how the crazy fashion of Mad Max happens. It's just, it's what we have. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so that one pair of jeans will get like a leg chopped off at some point. You just keep wearing it. <laughs> just keep wearing it. <laughs> keep going. Witness me, Davindra. Witness me. <laughs> and your haircut. Yes. Uh, so uh, yeah, how's it? How's it going, Jeff Kanata? What's it like in LA right now? 
You know, it's funny. I literally, minutes before we started recording this episode of the Slash Filmcast, I went out on a walk with my wife and children. Uh, and we have tried to get out of doors at least once a day. I, I've been, I think I mentioned to you guys that my son, who's three and a half, has learned how to ride a bike. And so we are taking bike rides. I had a bike ride earlier today with him. Um, but on this walk with the whole family, I was struck by how utterly gorgeous the world is right now. Uh, I, I don't know. I was commenting to my wife and we were speculating whether this was a, a function of being cooped up indoors and being able to walk outside is a treat now. And so I ha I'm looking at the world with fresh eyes. Well, uh, all your smog is gone too, Jeff, right? Well, that's so, what I was going to get to. Yeah, yeah. The, the, It is also the fact that here in Los Angeles, we have had unseasonably high rain recently. And so everything is green, which it never is in my neighborhood. Everything is brown or tan or beige in my neighborhood all the time. So things are green and lush and there are buds popping and, uh, and, and flowers everywhere. It's the first time – I've lived in Los Angeles for over 20 years – it's the first time that I've noticed a spring. Like this is feels like wow. a season. We're having spring. And and I was we were walking along and I was commenting just how gorgeous it all felt and how just nice everything smelled and and my wife's like it's probably the fact that the air actually is clean. And I was yeah. like maybe that is really <laughs> the sum total of how I feel is that nature is amazing when we're not strangling it to death with smog. <laughs> uh, so I, so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm in a mood of, uh, of kind of reflective joy at the moment. Cause I'm kind of just coming off of that, but that's not my baseline these days. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I wanted to comment because we walked around and we just, you know, I was looking at these beautiful green, uh, hillsides with, with lots of leaves and trees with lots of leaves and bloom and, and um, yeah. beautiful colors of flowers. I mean, even the grass has little, those little yellow, tiny flowers that pop up on, on nice. grass sometimes. You have know, you, it, have you noticed the, uh, the wildlife, Jeff, like birds sing much stronger now because there are fewer people around to bother them. It's, I've it's seen really wild. two falcons, like yes. full on falcons in my suburban neighborhood. I've never seen a falcon before. Uh, and we have rabbits. I've seen rabbits. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I it live right below Prospect time. Park. And I live right below Prospect Park. And it's like, uh, it sounds like a forest right now wow. in my neighborhood. And like, there, this is a pretty, like, there are a lot of trees nearby. So it's not that unusual, but it's much louder, much crazier than, um, you know, than usual. Because it's a very dense, populous neighborhood. I have to say, I am jealous of you guys because uh, our neighborhood is still, there are a lot of people here. Uh, it's always a little, I still see a ton of people on the sidewalk. So it's like, even going for a walk just seems like, uh, you're, we're better off. Just let's just wait here yeah, for a while. So man. we have a small deck and we could bring Sophie onto that. We run around maybe once a week. We'll like be able to sneak out when it's quiet to like a little green pasture, Oof. which is just like, it is a green Island of grass in between two streets because there are a few people there. That's kind of the only place we can hang out. So yeah, New York is tough. It is, uh, yeah, a center, Man. a center hold for all this right now. Yeah, New York just seems like uh, a scary, scary place still. 
And I feel for you, man. I feel yeah, for you and your rough. family. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're worried about you, dude. So uh, I, uh, I'm i doing okay here in Seattle. We're starting to bend the curve here in Seattle. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're very optimistic about that. Um, and also, apparently, all these uh, states on the West Coast are forming their own consortium. Yeah. Did you see that today, Jeff Kanata? We're like, hey, there is a complete vacuum of <laughs> uh, leadership and yep. responsibility at the top. And so states got to get this done. It's real funny it. watching all them states' rights uh, folks <laughs> decide that states' rights aren't a thing anymore. It is. Know? Funny is one word for it, certainly. <laughs> it's, in, it's a real knee slapper to notice <laughs> yeah. that the, the, uh, the right-wing president uh, decides that the federal government has absolute power now mm. when uh, that didn't seem yeah. like the, the thing that they thought for, I don't know, 80 years. <laughs> I read this story today, by the way. Did you guys see the story in NBC News? Uh, America's rats are getting desperate amid coronavirus pandemic. Mm-hmm. This is pretty pretty horrifying. Um, according Will to someone, this, think of the rats. A restaurant <laughs> all of a sudden closes now, which has happened by the thousands, and not just New York City, but coast to coast. And those rats that were living by that restaurant, someplace nearby, and perhaps for decades, having generations of rats that depended on that restaurant food, well, life is no longer working for them, and they only have a couple of choices. And those choices are grim. They include cannibalism, rat battles, and infanticide. We need a new secret of Nim immediately. (laughs) I mean, these rats are basically living... Snowpiercer right now. You know, they're, they're, they're being forced to eat their own children... Uh, to survive, and I, I'll just say I'm not I'm not a rat fan. I'm not a rat fan. Um, but uh, this does seem like a harsh outcome for them. Uh, uh-huh. So I, I don't know about you, yeah. Devendra. Yeah, how like, often it's do you like a preview it? of what's to come for all of us, right? So <laughs> it's yeah, so true. Indeed. Well, don't make fun of the rats. They're warning us. <laughs> on that bright on that bright note, why don't we talk about a couple things that have been getting us through this time? Uh, Jeff, I understand you've been you've been playing some some VR to escape from this world. Yeah, we were going to talk about this last week, and uh, we, we we didn't. But uh, I know you guys spent half an hour talking about um, bridges. <laughs> bridges, yeah. No, that was yeah, that was worth twenty-one it. You're bridges. Right. Yeah. No, you're right, Devendra. It was definitely over a, our time there. You're, yeah. you're right. It was definitely a better better use of our time. Uh, you're right. <laughs> um, no, uh, Devendra and I have both played Half Life Alex, which is a big, massive VR. It's the killer app. It's finally the VR killer app. Although I've been partial to some previous titles uh, that are available for VR, but it, I think it's undeniable that Half Life Alex is truly the uh, the biggest game to come out on that medium to date, uh, and it delivers, man. It's an extraordinary experience. There's like eight to twelve moments in that game that are among the best moments I've ever had in any video game, and there's just mm. they, they just keep coming yeah. over and over and over, and. Um, I mean, the storytelling's awesome. It does feel a little weird playing it now because it is a little bit, you know, dystopian and the, you know. There is a quarantine zone yes, in that game. Yes. Yeah. And there's a, you know, I was in a Ralph's grocery shopping and a voice came over the loudspeaker that said, <laughs> you know, please wash your hands and remember to stay six feet away from every other page. And it was very similar to the constant voiceover happening in the city 17 yeah, of Half-Life, yeah. you know. So it's a little it's a little bizarre playing that game now. But Devendra, did I'm I'm guessing you liked it as well. I, I I loved it. Yeah. I think it is the best VR game so far. I've seen a lot of, you know, really 
Yeah, cool high concept VR things. I've reviewed every headset. I've played most of the major games, but I think this is the first one, which is like a big budget AAA game set entirely in VR. It took me nearly 20 hours to beat. It feels like a complete experience. It also feels like as innovative as anything you'd expect from Valve. So I reviewed it over to Engadget. Check out my video and article there. Uh, but yeah, it's very good. Um, the only sad part is, yeah, still not many people have access to it. I think the easiest way to get in is like a cheaper Windows Mixed Reality headset. I really like the Samsung Odysseys, if you ever see any of those on sale. The Oculus Quest is a very good deal, if you can find that in stock. Uh, but even then, like those are very expensive things. So I'm hoping uh, maybe we get some cheaper headsets with the next-gen consoles, because they are certainly powerful enough to support it. Uh, I think, you know... I. I've been a little sad about VR because it feels like the market has died out a little. It feels like excitement has died off. Um, so we need more titles like this. I'm just very glad that, you know, Valve committed to it because they're they're the sort of company you need to kind of push the market forward. And uh, let's uh, let's say I, I hope to play some more of these games. Yeah. Because it feels like more are coming. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said uh, Half-Life Alex is what's possible in VR when a company doesn't need to recoup its cost. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they the money is on the screen in that game and they clearly uh don't care. You know, they they've got they've got steam <laughs> filling their pockets. So they they don't even mind uh having this be a loss leader for them. And it's it shows. It's it it proves that VR is capable right now, right this second, VR games are capable of looking mm -hmm. every bit as good as a AAA mainstream two-dimensional game. Um and it's hard going to other VR games from Half-Life Alex because it's so, yeah. so much visually, so much better than everything else. <laughs> I didn't, what, what's the, is it Boneworks? Yeah. I didn't put too much time into that, uh, but people kept telling me that was a good, like, you know, VR Half-Life type thing. It looks a uh, hundred times worse. But well, it's made by a, probably a fraction of the number of people yes. and a fraction of the yeah. budget. But yes, yeah, I mean, it's. Yeah, it, 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 every other VR thing. I mean, I've, I've been playing um, The Room VR recently, and it's good. It looks great, but compared to Half-Life Alex, it's, it's apples and oranges, mm -hmm. you know. It's, so. Well, I'm, I'm glad you guys have been enjoying Half-Life Alex, using it to uh, get away from the troubles of the world. Uh, does it help <laughs> with that, actually? No, because it's it's entirely you were. Oh, this is where we're going to be yeah. in one year. No, not the at all. aliens are coming. The head crabs are coming. I'm well. First of all, I learned to shoot pistols very well. I learned to reload kind of on the fly. I learned to throw grenades while headshotting aliens. So that is going to help me in the next year, I believe. I'm sure all those skills are exactly applicable and transferable to real life. Um, yes. Hey, I want to jump in right now and tell you about my toothbrush. I love my toothbrush. I have literally never said those words in my life. Until I got a quip. I genuinely love my toothbrush. Why? Because it makes it easier to have better oral hygiene. It takes care of all of the stuff that I don't want to busy myself with, honestly. I don't want to worry about how long I brush my teeth. That's why the quip toothbrush, the electric toothbrush with sonic vibrations that are finely tuned for sensitive teeth, has a built-in timer. And a 30-second pulse. So you go for the two minutes that dentists recommend. I always go for two minutes now because the Quip toothbrush is keeping track of that for me. It's so great. And I know after every 30 seconds, it just pulses for me. I can My mind can wander. And I, I do a better job brushing my teeth now. Plus, every three months, I get more toothpaste in the mail. I get a new brush head because the bristles need to be replaced every three months. But 
the Quip toothbrush gives you just the bristle head. It's easy. It's cool. It's slick. It pops right into place and replaces the old brush head. You actually have instructions on how to use the old brush head to clean the interior of the electric toothbrush. It's it's so slick. They thought of everything. And it's all delivered right to my door every three months because I'm subscribed. It's really great. I genuinely love my Quip. In fact, my family has three of them. We all use Quip toothbrushes. Only my my one-year-old daughter is yet to get one, but we're getting one for her too. And if you go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash filmcast. That's spelled G-E-T Q-U-I-P dot com slash filmcast. F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, all one word. Quip, the good habits company. Devinger, anything else you've been you've been checking out to, to help uh, you get your mind off things? Or? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, there's a whole bunch of, this is new TV season. It's new TV time. Uh, I checked out Run, which is the new show created by Vicki Jones. I believe she's a Killing Eve writer. Uh, she's worked with Phoebe Waller-Bridge quite a bit. Uh, this is a show starring uh, Donald Gleason and Merritt Weaver as two people. It's it's kind of weird, right? As it's two sort of people. like <laughs> well, it's a reverse before sunrise. I think like if you see the trailer for this, it's basically two people who were like. We don't have the context for what happened, but they basically agree to meet up when one person texts another person. And it doesn't matter where they are in the world. They agree to meet up at this point in time and the story just goes. So it's like this weird, sexy, romantic thriller. Um, I'm really digging it. Uh, I think uh, I think Donald Gleason is a lot of fun. The show Merritt Weaver is kicking ass as always. And it's so... It is very sweet, very endearing, and also like very like there's a thriller aspect to it because there's so much you don't understand about these two people and them literally running away from their lives uh, that I find very compelling. So it's really worth a watch. It's uh, on HBO right now. Yeah, the show's run. I am really excited to check it out. I've heard Me so too. Much I've been looking forward yeah. to it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, Devendra? Uh I don't know if you guys have thoughts about Westworld season three, uh, but I'm I'm digging it quite a bit uh i wrote up a review it in gadget i hated season two i yep. think that's the conclusion i came to i think season two was a colossal waste of time that kind of meandered all over the place didn't really add up to much this season is literally a reboot of the series because we are now outside of the park we are seeing the world outside of the park so it's like it is straight up blade runner it is straight up like akira and the matrix at times and it's kind of campy it's kind of silly but at least this is the kind of like dumb sci-fi pulpy stuff that i really enjoy so yeah i'm just i'm just digging it there's there's a lot more action i feel like it's a lot more focused as well um new characters new actors um what's his name creepy aaron, french aaron guy paul. Aaron, uh, well, Vin- aaron paul vincent cassell and vincent cassell and vincent cassell first of all aaron paul is very good because every time he shows up in screen he is doing the like lost puppy dog thing very well he's in like the a show. kind of audience surrogate a little bit yeah a little bit yeah pretty much like lost he's a former soldier suffering from ptsd he teams up uh with uh name is escaping evan rachel wood evan rachel wood's character like they're they're dolores buddies dolores now they're teaming up but uh, I, I love Vincent Cassell in this, too, because he is the sort of new big bad. He is a guy who's created the system that's in a way controlled all of humanity. Um, it is so pulpy. I think it swings 
on the more like action oriented side and less trippy, less confusing. Um, you know, I was never really into the puzzle boxy elements of Westworld. Uh, to me, it felt like in season two, at least they were, they were making a show for the people who are like, sit there and like try to decode every single scene of the show. And to me, I'm sure it's fun for those people, maybe as a, as a viewer who just wants like a story, I just want like a, an actual narrative fed to me. Um, it didn't feel that compelling. This one feels a little more straightforward. I'm sure there's some twists coming, but I'm really enjoying it so far. And the little bits we've seen of Maeve too, like she's off in the distance doing some stuff. And there is some like, I am waiting for straight up uh, Ninja Maeve. Like that's really all the season <laughs> is leading up to for me. So there's, there's enough, there's enough to can be entertained. It looks amazing. This is one of the best looking shows on TV. The world building, the like set design, the little bits of future. They kind of just sprinkle throughout this show and like barely even like pay a second thought to it, but it it just adds up to so much. Like uh, in the, in the first episode, this isn't much of a spoiler, but there is literally an app for crime. There is a Grand Theft Auto app like, oh, I feel like I need to make a couple bucks. I'm going to go blow up an ATM or something. And you load up the app. You find so you recruit a party. You go do the thing. And you go your separate ways. And you're probably paid like secretly through Bitcoin or something. And it seems silly and ridiculous. But also, man, it also feels like we are. <laughs> that's going to happen at some point. Like some sort of like literally organized crime by app. Uber for um, crime. Exactly. It's Uber for crime. That's really all it is. I mean, so more it's than closer, Uber. Closer to Task Rabbit for crime, I think. But yes. Fair, Maybe Task Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah, you're finding jobs and doing stuff. So anyway, I'm enjoying it. Um, it still feels kind of messy, but there's, to me, it feels like, um, you know, Jonathan Nolan is uh, is having a lot more fun. Like it just seems like they're they're doing more with the show this season than than before. So I'm really digging it. Is Aaron Paul the new Keanu Reeves? <laughs> I think it's possible, Jeff. Yeah, yeah Keanu, I, Keanu Reeves had a whole sci-fi of like, period of his career yeah, as well, right? I think he's yeah. he's like a guy that sort of started his career just being the dumb, young, kind of stoner kid, and mm -hmm. then shows a greater range and is more interesting than he ever had any right to be, and I, sort of you know. I feel like that does Aaron Paul a disservice if you say he's the next Keanu Reeves. Uh, I think even at this point, he has more range than Keanu Reeves, but I love Keanu. I love Keanu when he does what he does really well. You I, know? I agree. I, think, I agree with yeah, Devendra. Aaron Paul he, does can do more. Yeah. I agree that, that Aaron Paul, in my opinion, has more range than, than Keanu Reeves. Um, but yeah. Ke I, feel you know, like, I feel like. I love if, Keanu. I love them both. I love them both. Love but them they just, this, they're just good at different things. This part in Westworld season three, if the, if they were making it, you know, 25 years ago would be Keanu Reeves in, in that part, you know? Oh, mm. sure. Most definitely. I think they already made yeah. that movie. It's called Johnny Mnemonic. Johnny. Yeah. yeah. The classic. <laughs> the classic movie, Johnny yeah. Mnemonic. All right, Devinger, a couple quick shout outs. Just briefly, uh, Insecure season four just kicked off and I'm really digging the show. This is Issa Rae's show about like 30 something, you know, folks in LA. And right now just be <laughs> seeing a place where people are like hanging out together uh in public is is kind of nice and uh it is always nice to see la because it's always so much brighter and sunnier than new york especially today it's as if somebody just like desaturated all of new york because it was just like a miserable stormy day so so gray so so gray um insecure is a great show to see to kind of avoid that i've also been checking out bosch season six bosch my ultimate dad show i love bosch 
Uh, I'm very sad Bosch is ending in season seven, apparently, but I'm glad the show had so much of a great run. Titus Williver, great as ever. Have to say, though, um, probably not the time for Bosch to have like something. It's not a pandemic, but there is certainly something happening in the season where people are like, uh, maybe you should leave the city right now. I'm not going to say too much about what it is, but it is it is weird how so much of like the art we're consuming now has these vibes, even though they were made long before any of this stuff was actually happening. Um, so, yeah, really enjoying Bosch. It is so good. Watch Bosch, people, please. Bosch tried to warn right. us, guys. Bosch tried to warn us. He did. He did. Listen to Bosch. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about what I've been watching this week. But before I talk about that, uh, hey, I-, I feel the need to update something that we talked about a few weeks ago here on the podcast during our Bloodshot review. I don't know if you guys remember this, but during that review, we spent an, a- a- an appropriate amount of time talking about the butthole cut of the <laughs> We went deep. We went deep cuts. on the butthole cut. You know? You go, we you went deep go on deep. the buttholes. Yeah. Um, so for those who don't know, Cats is a movie that came out this year. Uh, less of a less of a movie, more of a phantasmagoria uh, that will haunt your dreams. And uh, there was a rumor that appeared online that uh, there was a cut of the movie that had buttholes in it, mm. uh, like cat buttholes that ha- then needed to be removed for the final cut. Now, the Daily Beast has actually done some journalism about this, um, and Finally, they wrote an article somebody. linked to the show notes called "Editing the Buttholes Out of Cats Was a Total mi- Nightmare for the v- Visual Effects Crew." <laughs> <laughs> uh, a source gave us the scoop about the Universal Bomb's exclusive butthole cut and how an allegedly tyrannical Tom Hooper made the production almost slavery for its VFX crew. Whoa. This is from Laura Bradley. And uh, according to this, what happened was that essentially the, the movie was halfway complete when people realized that somewhere along the way, uh, buttholes had been inserted into the movie. Like the, we we had talked about last week, how like oh, it seemed as though they might be accidentally forming or something like this. This article to me, <laughs> sometimes upon close examination, <laughs> makes it seem as though the buttholes were intentionally put in there. Right? Mm, yeah. Uh, so they said a, a source says we paused it. We went to call our supervisor, and we're like, "There's a fucking asshole in there. There's buttholes." <laughs> It wasn't prominent, but you saw it, and you were just like, what the hell is that? There's a fucking butthole in there. It wasn't in your face, but at the same time, if you're looking, you'll see it, end quote. The rogue anuses, we should probably note, were not part of any concerted artistic vision. As the source put it, there was nobody that said, we want buttholes. It was one of those things that just happened, and it slipped through. Indeed, Tom Hooper demanded accuracy, okay? It sounds like Tom Hooper was the butthole all along. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's actually 100% true. Uh, uh, so yeah, anyway, apparently one person had to go through uh, and squeegee out the buttholes, according squeegee. to this Daily Beast article. But uh, here, here, this is this is uh, the, you know this is taking a dark turn here. Okay, this article takes a dark turn. Uh, Laura Bradley writes, "quote The visual effects source I spoke with described the situation as almost slavery, and recalled working 90-hour weeks for months." Some colleagues, they were called, stayed in the office for two or three days at a time, sleeping under their desks. But worst of all, the source said, was the treatment that visual effects staff received from Tom Hooper. The director, the source alleged, has no idea how animation works. 
Uh, but that did not stop him from sending crew members individual emails denigrating their work. Hooper and Distributor Universal did not respond to multiple requests for comments. Before visual effects artists fully render sequences for animated films, they normally show directors play blasts, which are preview renderings that feature characters without color or texture. Just that the allows the co- oh, No color, no texture, Correct. just the butthole. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> I don't think they were doing play blasts of the buttholes, Jeff. Mm. Um, but anyway, have. that allows the director to evaluate the motion before hours of work are done to flesh out things like color, texture, and lighting. Hooper, however, did not seem to grasp that process. Uh, anytime the visual effects team wanted to show the director any animatics, the source said they had to fully render it. Otherwise, he'd say things like, <laughs> what is this garbage? And I don't understand. Where yeah. is the fur? End quote. What is this? A school for ants? <laughs> That's Tom Hooper. <laughs> That's the, uh, that, yeah, it is literally yeah. similar Boy. to something that Tom Hooper sir, might say. Sir, this is a demo. I've been yeah. I've been in that exact situation, by the way. Uh, yeah. Where you show someone and you say, this is placeholder. And then they yep. go, yeah, I have a few notes. What's up with all that stuff? And you go, That's the <laughs> stuff that I clearly flagged as being placeholder. <laughs> yeah, we can't have any of that in there. I, yeah, I, I, I know that. That is. <laughs> Not the point of what I'm showing you right now. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's delightful. It's, I'm actually, this actually makes me feel okay about all the hatred and scorn and box office failure that was heaped upon cats. Mm. You know, because it, it's very clear from this article that Hooper, Tom Hooper, A, doesn't know what he's doing, and B, is apparently a huge butthole to all of his visual effects staff, right? Yeah. And, uh, no one should treat their staff that way. It's it's frustrating on multiple levels. Number one, you, you learn your craft, and number two, be nice to people. And uh, I guess if you don't karmically, you'll be rewarded with one of the worst movies of all time, uh, yeah. being attached to your name forever. Boy, uh, I'd so love I'd love to imagine that the buttholes got put in by some frustrated VFX <laughs> artists. Yeah. I'm and pretty then, sure that's what's happening. Don't piss off your VFX. Group and then they got a, a second paycheck to remove the buttholes. You know, that's what you do. <laughs> Oh, you- oh, well, I don't know. Well, that's the thing, though. You don't know if they got a second paycheck because from talking to VFX people, because I've reported on some of this, if the director's like, you got to fix this, it's not like they're getting more money to fix it. Right. You know, they have to go fix it for what they were already paid. So you're doing double work, basically. Yeah. That's yeah. But- butthole elimination gratis. You know, you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> that's pro Indeed. bono butthole. What that is what that is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Or pro butthole. No. Anyway, it doesn't work. Uh, but... Pro bone hole. <laughs> I'm literally drinking a glass of wine right now. So, you know, <laughs> strap in, boys. Anyway, check out this article, The Daily Beast. Uh, it, run da- it runs down the situation with the butthole cut. and uh, But it's mostly about how Tom Hooper is terrible at his job, which... Uh, it, you know, it's also good reading. So I mean, watching some of his previous movies too, I, c- I could have told you that. So the oh, the, the director of Academy Award winning film Les yeah. Misérables. Uh, anyway, go ahead, Jeff. What were you gonna say? I was just saying we're being harsh on Hooper tonight, man. Yeah, the two won Oscars <laughs> for The King's Speech, a movie yeah. I hated. I love that movie, but the Oscars love. Yeah, I, yeah. Lo- I like no, that no, movie no. a lot. Not a bad film. Not a bad film. Uh, okay, uh, let's talk about what I've been watching. I had a chance to watch uh, How to Fix a Drug Scandal. Do you guys see this uh, movie on Netflix? It's like no. Netflix has this movie has this feature now that's like their top ten, right? It, they I hate they it. They show hate it so much. You, Go ahead. Why do you hate Why do you hate Netflix's top ten, Jeff? I don't. Don't force me to watch what everybody's watching. Don't like. Don't <laughs> snowball no me. No one's forcing you to do anything. Jeff. Don't Don't tell me. Hey, everybody seems to be watching this. 
Yeah. Everybody's going to be like, talking about it. Is this why it? Tiger King became a thing? Yeah. Is because it was being forced on this feature? Yeah. Number one in, number one in the whole country right now. Don't... Everybody's gonna yeah. be talking about it. If you're not watching tomorrow. it, you're you're an idiot. I, I don't get you know. it. You you don't want you don't have any interest in knowing what other people are watching. You have you have no curiosity about that. Stop pressuring me, Netflix. I don't. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I okay, it would be lovely. Like, but uh, we, we like one wine, Jeff. By the way, this uh, is one uh, wine. Jeff. Jeff is fun. Yeah, the whining is beginning. Wine. Yeah. No, the could, the. Um, couldn't you just ignore it though? Is my question. Well, wouldn't it be you great know? if I had to actually seek out that feature? It'd be lovely if that was in a menu that I could go. Hey, I wonder what everybody's watching. But Netflix is just like blaring everything at me mm-hmm. all the time, it, and it and it and it it is frustrating. I understand. I sound like a get off my lawn type of a uh, old man right now. So be it. <laughs> Uh, I I hope you turned off the trailer previews too, Jeff. Yeah, well, because that's a thing. Yeah, I, you could turn it off. I know. I, I've I've turned into I've I think I mentioned before <laughs> that part of me feels like I've watched a thing when I when I look at the uh-huh. twenty second preview. You know, like most of the uh, <laughs> okay most of the <laughs> most of the stand up specials. I'm like, oh man, those those are three good jokes. I think I, I feel like I've watched this whole special now. <laughs> now I know why you're against trailers, Jeff. You just feel like. Uh, yeah, you see the trailer, you see the movie. It's right? yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> you've summed it up. That and that's what I don't like about it. Uh, but you know, with stand-up specials, I feel like you know who's got time to sit around for a whole hour watching stand-up specials? Certainly not this guy with the thumbs. But <laughs> give me three good jokes from that stand-up special. All right, good job. Well, well right. done, Netflix. <laughs> that's wow. what YouTube cutdowns are for. You know, it's great. Netflix should do more of that. Yeah, it's the Cliff's Notes of the Netflix generation. Anyway. Uh, so I, I'm actually a fan of this feature because it's a nice little extra option. You don't you don't have to follow it if you don't want to, but it it might be nice to know. Hey, you can't not if, follow it if you click on a thing. It's like, hey, by the way, this thing you just clicked on, number three in the nation right now. Just wanted you to know. Just wanted yeah, you to know. Uh, and w- when you say it does that, it says all those things. It's literally like this tiny square badge that it puts on it, right? Yeah, this, that's what you're referring this to. This enormous flashing badge. It's like literally a one-inch square badge. I have a very large television, Dave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, the show is How to Fix a Drug Scandal. It is directed by Erin uh, Lee Carr, who is a very talented uh, director. Uh, she's been on my other podcast, Culturally Relevant, uh, may appear on it again in the future. Uh, and it, it centers on this case that occurred a couple of years ago uh, by this woman named Annie Dukin. Uh, it, it covers a couple cases in Massachusetts. Uh, Devendra, interestingly, the two locations where uh, these things happen are Boston and Amherst, uh, which are Gotta places we're familiar with. But uh, a chemist in a drug lab in Boston, Massachusetts, named Annie Dukin, uh, falsified drug results in thousands of cases. Right, So... People would arrest someone and say, like, hey, this person was carrying this white powder. Can you test it? And she's like, yep, it's cocaine. And then they'd be like, okay, well, that person's going to jail then. Uh, Annie Dukin said it's cocaine. Never actually did the test. Wow. Thousands of times. And so you can imagine the the havoc that this wrought over the uh, Boston justice system, the Massachusetts criminal justice system. And what I love about Erin Lee Carr's work is she will take a situation that you read about in the newspaper. And th- my reaction when I read about Annie Dukin was, huh, that's <laughs> weird. Well, why, why would someone do that? You know, I wonder why someone did Laziness? something like that. 
well, it's covered in the in the series, which I won't get into right now. But uh, suffice to say, uh, I, I think you know I've talked to Erin Lee Carr before, and and she her approach is somewhat similar in the sense that she looks at a story like that and she wonders, huh, like what's what's going on there? That cannot be the whole story, and she'll dig in two, three layers deep and try to figure out like what was the what was the broader cause of what happened here and what were the person's motivations and all that stuff like that. And that's exactly what she does in How to Fix a Drug Scandal. Uh, it's pretty great documentary filmmaking. It's certainly way better than Tiger King in terms of uh, its approach to storytelling. It's very linear. You know, it's very like, hey, uh, or uh, linear is not the right word because it does bounce back and forth between two cases. But it's very much like, hey, we're going to take you through what happened with these cases and at the end of the day, we're going to come to a conclusion about how this situation could be better uh, improved. And that does not feel like what happened with Tiger King. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But suffice to say, I found this to be uh, pretty compelling watching. And I'd recommend it if you're interested in kind of a, a solid true crime drama. Uh, it's How to Fix a Drug Scandal. It's on Netflix right now. It's four roughly 45 to 55-minute episodes uh, so you can get the whole thing done in like three to four hours. So, yeah, that's what I've been watching this week, and uh, I'd recommend it. This is a tough time for everyone, staying at home, being sequestered, which is why there's never been a better time to talk about our new sponsor, BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P, help. BetterHelp assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours from signing up at BetterHelp. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's a professional counselor and it is done securely online. So this is the perfect time for this when we can't go out anyway. This is online therapy and there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. So you're actually gaining the benefits of being able to uh, dip into a much wider pool of professionally licensed therapists. The service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log in to your account anytime, send a message to your counselor. My wife did this. Uh, I actually gifted this to her uh, because uh, she's been having a lot of anxiety and stress during this time. And uh, rightfully so, I understand it. And she's found a lot of solace in being able to talk to somebody and to be able to do it on her time and her schedule, all facilitated with uh, e email. You know, It's done easily and it's done with a webcam. It's great. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So they make it easy and free to change your counselor if needed. And it's more affordable then traditional offline counseling and financial aid is also available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Uh, these are at betterhelp.com slash reviews. Uh, or you can visit betterhelp.com slash filmcast. That's better, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And just for Slash Filmcast listeners, a special offer, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash filmcast. Again, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. All right. Jeff Kanata, what have you watched this week? Well, um, a number of things, but what I want to talk about are some of the the things that 
are trying to continue in a world that's gone topsy-turvy. And just how struck I am by this this moment that we're all living through and how it permeates every section of life. I'll give two examples. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people also uh, noted them. I don't usually, I'm not a particularly religious person, uh, but we wanted to celebrate Easter with our kids really for the first time. Uh, And my wife heard that there was going to be a concert by the famed opera singer, Andrea Bocelli, Uh, that was going to be live streamed on YouTube. And she thought it'd be nice to put that on. My kids love music. It's a kind of music that we don't have on in the house very often. She thought it would be a lovely thing to put it on 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 Easter morning as we had breakfast and we did a little egg hunt in the backyard. Uh, And so we put on this concert that uh, Ave Maria and, you know, a lot of uh, sort of the, the, the classic rep, uh, I'm sure Dave, you'd be able to speak to it more. Even though I did date an opera singer for five years uh, at one point, I, very little of it I have retained. Uh, nevertheless, the reason I bring it up is because the entire broadcast really focused and highlighted the complete emptiness of Italy right now, the empty streets, the empty cathedrals, Milan being completely uh, a ghost town. Uh, And of course, horrible tragedies happening in Italy. And and I don't mean to belittle that or make light of it in any way. It is, it has been, I've kept up with it and read many really horrible stories uh, of the lives that people are living and losing there. But my goodness, was that a powerful, it was a hard thing to keep on. We actually had to turn it off, even though the music was beautiful, uh, because it just felt so haunting. Um, and, and I felt like the, the production, such as it was, really kept focusing on how empty everything was. And maybe the point was to show people how they are respecting the stay-at-home decree and how they are you know, trying to quell this outbreak, but it was Andrea Bocelli alone in a cathedral with a single organist who was quite a distance away from him. Uh, He, of course, is a blind man uh, standing alone in this empty cathedral with empty pews. And then there were numerous shots, cutaways to empty streets, empty uh, architecture and bridges and fountains, all of which you would, uh, you would normally see full of tourists and locals alike. Uh, and it, I found it to be hard to watch, actually. I don't know if either of you caught any of that on Easter Sunday. No, I didn't no, I have did, a chance to check it, yeah. But, it does sound like something you'd find in like 28 Days Later yes. type movies, you know? Like, just like, oh, this this place that normally has tons of people is now empty, and that alone is scary. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, but, what's the Will Smith movie? I Am Legend, right? Where he's like, I am legend. Know, yeah. you know, playing but, golf uh, on the battleship. It's that. I think there is the temptation to see it as like a really horrifying sight, as like somehow unnatural in some way. And I think that's a very understandable human reaction. But I think something that I've also seen online, uh, this sentiment that expressed is that, uh, what you are witnessing is uh, an act of love. You know, that all these people are staying home because they are trying to prevent this thing from killing more people. And they are doing so at great personal, 
economic and emotional cost to themselves. Um, and I think there's something really powerful about that. Um, you are, and, you, and are I know it's, you are of yeah. course right about that. You are of course spot on, and it is. I admire the ability to focus on that. Um, and there are times when I see it that way too. This was not one of those times. It just felt. Uh, I applaud the desire to soldier on and to create something beautiful. Here was this this beautiful music uh, sung by a, a beautiful voice in a beautiful place. And and for that, I thought it was uh, a worthwhile endeavor. Um, but it, I don't know. It, it just it just felt it felt like watching a ghost. Uh, you know, it was felt like watching. I mean, it was surreal to the point of being disturbing to me. And I just trying to be honest with how I felt. But you you are absolutely right that it, how I should have felt is. Uh, oh what no, you're I'm not saying you should feel anything. You know, everyone's got to feel how they feel. Uh, but I do think that uh, I, I guess what I would encourage people to do is when you see something like that, I, I do think it does give me optimism to see something like that, mm. you know? Um, cause it is like people are, everyone's doing their part to try and stop this thing. Yeah. Um, so it's, but a, yeah, it, it is, it is unsettling for sure. It's a singular totally moment in, in human history. And it is, uh, it's quite something to be living through it. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, I don't know if anybody watched the return of Saturday night live, um, which was some of it, it yeah. was <laughs> extraordinary. Uh, I, again, applaud the, the um, what I can only imagine was a huge effort to compile what they compiled and put out a show that resembled anything remotely uh, resembling a, a normal Saturday Night Live. It was actually kind of extraordinary how close they got to a show that felt kind of uh, fine, kind of reminiscent of what they do. They had Tom Hanks, which was an extraordinary thing in and of itself, seeing as how he was one of the first celebrities to be positive with uh, coronavirus. Uh, they had him, quote unquote, host the show, although his duties were really just to do the opening monologue. Uh, and then a number of sketches throughout that were done via Zoom, as many of us are doing our jobs via Zoom, so were the cast of Saturday Night Live, making sketches, shooting them in their own homes, their own apartments, uh, doing sketches with each other only over Zoom. Um, using Zoom as the medium by which they even sort of sculpted the sketches. So they were about Zoom meetings in a number of cases. Uh, and they had a musical guest. They had um, lead singer of Coldplay singing from his home. They had their usual Saturday Night Live band all playing their instruments in their own homes compiled together to do the the uh, the bumpers between segments and before act breaks and, and um, commercial breaks. So all of that was... Uh, admirable, I would say. Um, but boy, again, it just, it, it, you, you see how there is a reason why these things have existed the way they have existed for so long. Uh, I, I was particularly, um, interested to note how they decided to attempt weekend update, which is of course their sort of daily show esque, um, although it predated daily show by quite a bit, uh, um, news, fake news uh, segment inside every episode of SNL. Um, and it is, it is done before a live audience with, with live laughter and they are jokes. They're telling jokes. They are, you know, much more than any other segment of that show. They're sitting in a chair, looking at the camera, telling jokes. And I guess they decided that they needed to have 
some laughter in order to do that. And so they, uh, I, 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 I guess they asked some of their friends to be on a Zoom call while they performed this and recorded it. And so you got some sort of like supportive chuckles and laughter over from these disembodied Zoom voices. And boy, it just, it just, it, it rang hollow and it didn't, it didn't work at all to my mind. Um, and I think it was a really ill conceived idea to, to, add laughter in that way. I think, again, everybody's doing what they can. And I, I'm not here to, you know, unfairly criticize anybody. All these places are figuring it out in a, in a brand new paradigm that we're all doing. I, in my own shows, right? We're, we're Dungeon Run has reinvented itself. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that I'm involved in myself. So I, I'm not, I'm in a glass house. I'm not trying to cast stones, but I just... Wanted to bring it up. I don't know if you guys saw any of Weekend Update in particular because it just felt like a bad idea and it, mm-hmm. it just didn't work. And I, I wonder if next week will be different and how they'll continue this if we're going to be in this for another at least month or so. Uh, I imagine longer than that. Um, I, I'm conflicted because I think it's admirable to try to soldier on, as I said, with all of these kinds of things that late night shows are doing that. Um all of these sort of daily produced shows are doing that and it's good on one hand and on the other hand, it's like, you know, it's um not as entertaining, you know, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. You can feel the production difference. Um, the weekend update thing is pre- pretty sad because there are other shows like freaking John Oliver and Colbert. And I think even Conan, like other shows that John Oliver in particular that deals with news he still managed to do like a pretty decent looking show. I I don't think he's shooting at home. It may be like a small studio somewhere, um, but still looks good and still informative and funny. But me, I'm just not a big Weekend Update fan in general. Yeah, and he so, decided yeah. right Oliver and Colbert and I think even um, um, Fallon. They they all yeah. decided not to try to create some sort of virtual version of a studio audience. They didn't try to use laugh track or create. Laughter in the, I mean, again, they're just figuring it out, right? So I can't be too harsh on on SNL for this, but it it felt like a really bad decision, especially because the rest of the show didn't do that. Just Weekend Update did it. And they were honest about it. They said, hey, we got some people on this call because jokes need laughter in order to feel good. But man, it just, it, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, yeah, Jeff, that's a very understandable reaction. Uh, I, I think it's very natural to want to evaluate something like this based on like what we already know. You know, it's, it's very understandable. I, I will say if I'm to be really uncharitable about your reaction, which, you know, is one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Uh, it would be that like this is like listening to someone complain about like, you know, when the, when the you know, the first car first rolled off the production line and. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we don't need to use horses anymore. Listening to someone complain about how loud it is, you know, it's like, well, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think maybe a better way to shut me down is to say everybody gets a pass (laughs) right now. And I I think that's true. I think everybody does get a pass right now. That's that's true too. But I, I guess I just feel like I saw a report this week that experts say there's going to be no music concerts until fall of 2021. Right. You know? And it's like, I just think we're going to need to adjust to a new way of creating and consuming things, uh, entertain media and entertainment right now. And yes, one, number one, everyone's trying their best right now. And number two, like, uh, 
this is their first shot at this and it's probably going to improve in the future. And number three, like, it's not as though there's any alternatives to what's happening right now, you know? So I think just think it's, uh, I, I think it foretells a change in the paradigm versus, hey, this is just a blip on the radar and, um, you know, they're going to fix it next week. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of my... Well, I, I think right then now. that would lead more to the the discussion needing to be had rather than not having the discussion. I Listen, I, I hesitated in even bringing it up because I think you're right in the sense that it is, as I said numerous times, even as I was talking, it, it's unfair to, in this moment, be particularly critical because everybody's figuring it out. Everybody's doing the best they can. And kudos to them for even making a show that I could watch, you know, I, I, I happen to really enjoy watching Saturday Night Live. I know a lot of people, um, you know, are critical of, of the, even the institution that is Saturday Night Live at this point. And I always find at least one or two sketches that make it worthwhile for me to tune in. Um, and so I, I'm rooting for them and I'm rooting for the format and I'm, I'm rooting for us all to get back to a sense of normalcy at, at some point or find a new way through it. And I, I only bring it up to sort of acknowledge what we're all seeing and also to, to, to talk through this idea of what, what is useful in this moment, right? Are we all – is this a useful thing? Is this – if this is the new paradigm, if we are unable to have live studio audiences for our entertainment, like what, what does that mean? Um, what does that – how does that change – the things that we see and the way things are made. And I think that's a useful dialogue. I certainly don't mean to do it at the expense of people who are just sort of have their hearts in the right place and trying to create something good. But I also was struck by these two things that I watched this week as being, I don't know, um, dissonant. A, a sign that things are changing, I think. Well, sure. Uh, I, I, un yeah. Undoubtedly. But also – you know, uh, uh, variety is on a theme of, of like, there's, there's, there's ways that seem to be uh, ways through it and ways that, that seem to be meandering a bit. And I'm, I'm just extending the conversation is all. All right. Well, that's, uh, Andrea Pacelli's performance for Easter and also SNL. That's what Jeff has been watching this week. Oh, I am so excited to tell you about our next sponsor about a year ago, nearly a year ago. I told you about a sponsor called StoryWorth and the fact that I gave StoryWorth to my dad for Father's Day. And for every week of the last year, my dad has been doing StoryWorth. And I tell you, it has brought us closer together. He loves it. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. I didn't even realize when I first told you about StoryWorth a year ago what a big impact it would have on our life. Now, let me tell you what it is. Story Worth is a fun and meaningful way to engage with your family, especially with relatives that you might not get to see often. And we're all not seeing anybody that often right now, except for, you know, virtually. But there are numerous stories, insights, valuable lessons that you likely haven't heard your loved ones give to you. And StoryWorth is a way not only to get those, to extract those from your loved ones, but it's a way to record them and pass them on to subsequent generations as well. Every week, StoryWorth emails your family member a different story prompt. These are really thoughtful questions that maybe you 
never asked, like, what have been some of your life's greatest surprises? Or what's one of the riskiest things you've ever done? And then your loved one answers that question, writes an email back, and those stories are then sent to you and whomever else you'd like, and then compiled after a year into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped to you for free. So I'm about to get ours. In, in June, we will get ours from my dad. I'm going to give this to my mom for Mother's Day this year because it was such a hit with my dad. I'm so excited to see how the, the, the keepsake comes out. But just the experience of connecting with my dad over this last year, just reading his emails and then getting on the phone or getting on FaceTime with him and saying, dad, I, I heard that story you told me about high school. I, I never knew that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's been so incredible. I am genuinely grateful that I found out about StoryWorth. And I'm so glad to tell you about it. I think, you know, as we are all away from our loved ones, this is a wonderful gift you can give for Father's Day, for Mother's Day, for birthdays, for holidays. It lasts a year and it is, it's, I think, invaluable. I'm so excited to be able to give this book to my kids um, to, to know about their grandpa. So if you want to connect with family and discover untold stories with StoryWorth, get started right away without the need for shipping by going to storyworth.com slash slash filmcast and you'll get $10 off your order. That's storyworth.com slash, and then the word slash filmcast, S-L-A-S-H-F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, all one word, to get $10 off your order. I think you're going to love this way to connect with your family. Storyworth, that's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash slash filmcast. Before we move on to our review, we want to thank some people who have donated to the Slash Filmcast. Uh, a big thanks to Eric D. Weiss and Sean Lowry for subscribing to the podcast at the rate of $2 per month. And also, uh, thanks to donors Eniola Fawehini and it. TJ Endler. I don't, think that, I don't think that was that bad. Eniola, thank you so much for your donation. PJ Endler, thanks for your donation. Thanks also to Guillermo, who wrote this uh, message with his donation. Uh, thanks for all the fun and entertainment you provide with your show. This is a small amount compared to all the fun moments you've given us. I hope this helps going, uh, keeps you going through this tough times. I started listening to the show after Jeff joined. I knew him from TRS back in 2008. I was looking for shows that I could help improve my English. Uh, I had finished college the year prior in Mexico and moved to New York City for work. I come from a small city, which I'm not going to try to pronounce. Well, I will try to pronounce it, but I'll probably fail. Aguascalientes? Mm. Aguascalientes. Yeah, I didn't find hot water, I, I guess. Yeah. Aguascalientes, right? Where, yeah, I think that's right. Where I didn't find many people who liked the same things I did, and this show made me feel part of something bigger. I, in fact, was going to record an audio message for the 500th episode with the idea of representing Mexico with a not-so-heavy accent. I'm glad I didn't because that other Mexican who had a better accent than mine did so. <laughs> I'm one of those people that like to save episodes for a couple weeks and then binge them. I just listened to the episode with Dan Trachtenberg, and it was very moving to hear Jeff talk about the situation. I figured this should be the best time to help, as we say in Spanish, with my grain of sand. Thanks, Jeff, for that heart you always speak with. Thanks, Devinder, for all the cool recommendations in New York City. By the way, Park Slope Williamsburg, smiley face. And thanks to David for being a great host. I usually tend to agree more with Jeff's point of view, but your opinions challenge mine, and I love that. And the way you drive the podcast is great. Cheers, Guillermo. Thank you, Guillermo. So I heard two things there. First, um, 
Jeff's <laughs> point of views are the best. That's what I heard. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> yep. second, okay. I heard that um, he sought out our show because he wanted to find ways to improve his English. That's uh, which I'm so sorry that that that's... is what you. <laughs> If that's the solution is, you arrived at. Is that how we've been marketing our show this whole time? <laughs> uh, no, I actually think it's o- the opposite. I'm pretty sure we tell people that it's going to make you dumber, you know? So, And yet people still tune in, yeah. so I don't know what's going on there. In any case. We apologize. If you want to, we apologize for your English. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to support what we do here on the podcast, you can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash filmcast. Make a one-time donation. Please do not donate. If it in any way causes you hardship, I know we are all going through some challenging times right now, some more than others, and uh, we would never want you to feel like you need to donate uh, to help the show out if you're going through a challenging time yourself. But if you want to support us for free, super easy way to do that, just go to the Slash Filmcast listing on Apple Podcasts and leave a star review. It literally takes five seconds. You're listening right now. By the time I finish this sentence, you could have already done it. You know, it just takes a few seconds to go to Apple Podcasts, leave a star review. It really does help us out because I don't know if you know this, there's a lot of podcasts out there and uh, the star reviews uh, help us to stand out in the crowd. Okay. That's going to bring us to our review of Tiger King. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Joe Exotic and this is Sarge. He was like a mythical character living out in the middle of bumfuck Oklahoma who owned 1,200 tigers and lions and bears and shit. Come here, love me. <laughs> Matt Spoken, good looking, love to party and have fun. I don't think we're done blowing shit up today. I don't figure you are. <laughs> they have a heart and a soul and a mind. I've learned from them. But Carol Baskin hates saying, I can't have these tigers. If he ever had an enemy in his life, it was Carol Baskin. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens, it's Carol at Big Cat Rescue. Carol is the Mother Teresa of cats. We will end the private possession of these cats. This is my way of living, and nobody's gonna tell me any otherwise. Carol has an army of people working for free. She's a plain out hypocrite. She literally does everything that I do. The joke says, will you go to Florida and what? Kill that fucking lady. What a story, and it got way bigger. Sometimes they say that I'm the prototype for Scarface. We're supposed to be sexy and we're luring people in. You may now kiss the grooms. You're gonna have to kill me to shut me up. That was from the trailer for Tiger King, uh, which is a docu-series from Netflix. I'm gonna read the plot summary from the internet. This is an exploration of big cat breeding and its bizarre underworld populated by eccentric characters. Tiger King is a seven-part docuseries with a new special that was just released today that I watched, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. I should also point out, by the way, that the subtitle of Tiger King is Murder, Mayhem, and Madness. Now, the one thing that I've seen about Tiger King and that I observed in my own household is that regardless of your feelings of what's going on on screen or what the characters are like or whether there's anyone to root for. One thing that Tiger King has been for many people is a welcome distraction from the global pandemic that we're all trying to survive. Devinder Hardwart, did you find it to be a welcome distraction? No. (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? The way we distract ourselves from like a world filled with uh, awful people in charge of this country and many other countries is to watch a show about terrible people where you can just kind of uh, 
look at very similar personalities of like <laughs> blowhardy, you know, assholes who think too much of themselves and believe they can be president because, uh, you know, they 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 want it so hard. No, no, I don't think the show is a good distraction. I think it is. It represents the worst of everything that's <laughs> happening right now. And we're just sitting back instead of like watching the news, which would at least inform you on some level about what's happening. You're watching this guy. The show basically glamorizes Joe Exotic. Like, here's the thing. Like, we're doing a show about a Trump-esque guy in a time where that same personality is out there, like, making states within America fight for supplies and stealing their supplies because only the federal government should have it or something. No, I just found it really disgusting to watch this at this point in time. Um, maybe at another point in time, I would have been like more open to these personalities, but I'm, I'm really not. Like, I don't think the show gives us much. I wish, um, I wish I was trying to make a point about the um, horrors of big cats, uh, of how people are keeping big cats in America. And it doesn't do that at all, and we're not going to do spoilers here. So I'm just going to say, like, you know, well, this show. Well, yeah. So, so when you yeah. say we're not going to do spoilers, we're, let's just say right up top. That we yep. are going to spoil everything in the show. So if you, so, yeah, uh, if you haven't seen the show, which you're one of ten people that haven't seen it at this point, that's fine. Uh, but we are going to spoil everything. So don't listen further if you do not want to be spoiled on Tiger King, uh, Murder Mayhem, yep. and Madness. Okay, different. But we're going to spoil the murder the spoilers, and the mayhem, but not the madness. We're going to mur- yeah. make sure we don't spoil the madness. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say that spoilers. For later. Don't really matter. Like, I would say, like, there are a couple potentially shocking things, and that's kind of what the show banks on, but I don't think the spoilers matter much. But what really, the show ends with, like, ten minutes of, like, after spending seven episodes <laughs> following these crazy people, it's like, oh, she may have murdered her husband. This guy's crazy. He's got multiple wives. Um, it's so many different things. Like in the last ten minutes, it's like you get to the end of your school report. It's like, um, um, oh yes. And in conclusion, <laughs> keeping big cats is bad. <laughs> that okay? is a great analogy, so perfect, yeah. Really well done. <laughs> it's uh, no, it's infuriating. Like I hated the show. I hated watching it. I do appreciate the fact that. Being a Netflix documentary series, like I don't, I'm not too precious about only watching this on my best screen. So this is something I can watch like on my phone when I'm on the toilet <laughs> where it belongs. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, it, to me, it seems clear that this documentary started out as one thing and then morphed into another. Yes. It started out as theoretically a look at, exotic animals in captivity in the United States and uh, how that's terrible and the conditions that lead to that and the, the outsized personalities that uh, allow that to occur. And then the filmmaker became too distracted by the those outside pers- uh, outsized personalities. The filmmakers became too enamored with those personalities, I think. Uh, and it just became like this situation of, oh my gosh, look at this. Like, it's like the dogs in the Pixar movie up, you know? Yeah. Squirrel. Oh, squirrel. You know, squirrel. Like this, this woman might've killed her her husband, uh, over here. This guy's running a cult. Uh, you know, all this, all these things that are occurring. Uh, This guy's a swinger, you know, like, and every episode was full of shocking twists and an asshole that was, even more villainous than any character that had come before. And that is what I found to be so addicting about the show, is that no matter what had just transpired in the previous hour, 
uh, I knew that the next hour was going to deliver me something even more depraved, uh, even more venal than that. And I think that's <laughs> Are you what... not entertained? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think, uh, sorry, venal might not be the right word there, but you know what I mean? Like uh, these characters <laughs> are venal. And uh, so anyway, the, the, these are the things that hooked me on the show and kept me watching to the end. But Jeff Kanata, I want to hear what you think about Tiger King. Well, Dave, I guess you could say that what I think about Tiger King is best summed up in the form of a limerick. And I'm, I'm particularly proud of this one. Hit us, Jeff. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> With these exotic creatures, we're smitten. But like a sharp tiger's tooth, it exposes the truth. It's with fame and greed we've been bitten. Mm. Oh, nice. Nicely done, Jeff. That's one of your best ones. Thank you. It's got layers. Yeah. If you literally, if you really parse it, it's got layers. I'm particularly proud of that one. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, I feel like I agree wholeheartedly with Devendra on this one. I, I would like to read, but I should say, Dave Chen, way ahead of the curve on, uh, I guess we can't use curves anymore. Curves are bad now, but way ahead of the, the mainstream on the, on the Tiger King <laughs> uptake. Uh, Dave, I think night one was, was texting Devendra and I <laughs> about uh, needing to watch this. You must watch this. Oh my God, I can't believe what I'm watching. You have to watch this. Uh, this is a text that I sent back to Dave. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I will read, read the text verbatim. Yet. This was uh, read the transcript. March 29th, I think I sent this. Um, Which it feels like six months yes, ago. Yes, indeed. Uh, I said, I've now watched episode two. This is a horror story on a scale I can't quite reconcile. No fiction writer <laughs> would dare people their tale with such a nonstop barrage of truly unbelievable characters. And it took me a lot to even continue watching the show because I found it so, so profoundly depressing, especially in this time uh, of, of just general depression. Um, it, I do believe, and you guys were kind of uh, talking at this point as well. I do believe that this show is about America. <laughs> it's about the worst parts of America. Uh, it is about greed and is, it is about this lust for fame this naked lust for fame that is devoid of any actual talent or uh, uh, reason for the fame. It's just this lust, this, this American lust for just pure fame. And I think the show is, is not only about that, the show became that. I think the show – if it was ever yeah. if it was ever wrapping itself in in a virtuous desire to expose mm-hmm. the mistreatment of animals it very quickly abandoned that because it fell over itself realizing what a hit it had on its hands right and it and it became that um there's a there's a a moment a very early episode where Rick Kirkman the the producer who used to work on current affair uh talks about how this was his retirement. Like he he met Joe Exotic and he went, this dude's a gold mine because people can't take their eyes off of this insanity. And it didn't matter. I mean, he's been very forthright about how he sold out his morals in pursuit of what looked like dollar signs to him. He And I think that this documentary does the same thing. It, it I'm particularly 
appalled <laughs> by this quote unquote eighth episode that was sort of a, you know, talking dead esque, <laughs> you know, snarky, uh, hilarious, like bachelor after show tell all. How unbelievably distasteful it is to treat these human beings and this thing that really happened that w they never signed up to be reality stars. I, I mean, I don't think, I know Joe Exotic would probably love that and did actually want to be that. But for the most part, this this isn't supposed to be a reality show. It's supposed to be a documentary. I mean, this is... We, we had a whole debate yes. about this topic a few weeks ago on the Slash Filmcast. Yes, this is yeah, exactly I what yeah. I thought... Uh, cheer was. Cheer would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and here comes Netflix. Did you ever finish Cheer, by the I way? I did. We, didn't we talk about it? I loved it. Yeah, we talked about the end of Cheer. So good. So, so good. good. So good. But it's everything that this is well, not. Well, that's the funny thing is that, you know, here comes Netflix going, oh, oh, did you think that that's what Cheer was? Oh, don't worry. We got you. We got you, bro. <laughs> we, we, we got a series <laughs> that is that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're going to balance the sweet with uh, with some yeah. spice. I mean, yeah. it, it is, it it revels in the fact that these characters, these hum humans, these actual people are horrible and do horrible things. And oh my gosh, isn't it so hilarious? I, I have people I've talked to that recommended the show to me before I had watched it that said, oh, it's so funny. I laughed through every episode and I just don't understand that perspective at all. I found, I found this thing just staring into the abyss, man. It's staring into the, the true depths of what, capitalism has wrought you know it's like it, every person as you said dave every new person that is introduced over the course of the seven episodes seems to be more craven and driven by pure greed than the the one before them and it is uh it's hard to stomach for me even as i recognized how fascinating uh subject matter it was that the fact that these this exists and has existed for years and years and years as we've all just been going about our lives as normal people in the rest of the world. Like these things have been happening and these people have been walking the earth. And, you know, I remembered that John Oliver episode where they talked about the wacky people who were running for president. And I remember him saying this Joe Exotic guy. And yet here he was like murdering animals and doing all this jacked up stuff. And it, it's, it's, it seems so distasteful from, to me that it is now being treated as like, wow, can you believe how famous you've gotten from this show? Yeah. You know, and, and um, hiring, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Joel, Joel McHale. McHale, who I like. So you're, you're talking about the eighth episode was released literally yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and Joel McHale did a Zoom-esque feature, you know, where he had to interview them remotely, but he interviewed a bunch of the... Principles. Lower tier characters yeah. um, from the show. Yeah. And, and so he didn't get Joel Exotic. He didn't get Carol Baskin. Right. Et cetera. Uh, but, you know, it, first of all, hiring Joel McHale, I like Joel McHale. I think he's very funny and very charming. But you are clearly saying, hey, let's be snarky yeah. and be funny. And, and this is all a big laugh riot. You're getting the soup guy. You know, you know what you're yeah, doing. Yeah. There's a there. man in jail yeah. for m murder. Uh, uh, wanting to murder a human and actually murdering animals. <laughs> and, uh, and there's all these horrible things that we know have happened. There was a, another person, you know, it's like having Joel McHale go like, Hey man, sucks that you saw that dude shoot himself in the head. How did that feel? You know, it's like, what the fuck is this? This is so like late stage capitalism, <laughs> horse shit. Like, 
as you said, Devendra, are you not entertained? What am I? What? What am I taking part in here? You know, it's. I don't know. Again, I'm on my soapbox talking in a way that feels very condescending. I I imagine to some, um, but I found this to be a horror show uh, on a number of levels and uh, an example of what we are willing to allow to happen in the world simply because it can make some people money. Well, I think that's very well said. Um, here is the thing. So let me just comment on the special for a moment because you mentioned it. And I found the special to be wild, extremely depressing. It, it just, because here's the thing about the special is with Joel McHale is it removes uh, any sheen of plausible deniability that you have as the viewer in being kind of complicit in what this documentary yes. is. Yes. And what I mean by that well is said. prior to this special airing, you could say, okay, well, hey, I actually care about the plight of these exotic animals that are under control of all these horrible people. And I, I watched Tiger King because I wanted to learn more about this plight. And, oh, yeah, sure, the filmmaker took a few detours. But, you know, he obviously got too attached to his subjects, and that's what happened. And and he got he got too focused on the lurid elements of, of this situation. Uh, but overall, one could argue that the net effect of this documentary was good. I mean, it's not a very strong argument, but you could argue that. I don't think you can do that after you watch that special. You know what yeah. I mean? It just made me feel so gross uh, for having enjoyed the show at all. That they're they're treating it like real housewives. Oh hey, yeah, it's like real we're housewives. Just gawking, yeah, real housewives. The bachelor. We're just gawking at these people. Yeah. We're gawking at this whole situation. You're just a gawker. But, is what's happening by, right now. By a large margin, the most prominent question in that special was, how, yeah. how are you handling the fame? How, what's it like now that people can recognize you as you walk down the street? It's so, it was so gross. Yeah. Yeah. You must be getting so many offers, yeah. Yeah. man. And I'll say that to yeah. like, I do, I do not blame the subjects necessarily. You know, like I, I don't think that, uh, obviously they agreed to be interviewed. Um, and, and, and I, I believe Carol Baskin, and her husband said they were misrepresented. Right, right. Like, so, so I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying for the special, I think like all, all, those people yeah, knew yeah, what yeah. they were getting into. Carol Baskin and her husband and, and several other people have said that, the filmmaker misrepresented what he was making um, to them. Uh, I don't. I don't think. Uh, you know, according, it's it's kind of a he said she said situation where Carol Baskin says, you know, she did not think that they would spend an entire episode focusing on unproven theories that she murdered her husband, whereas the filmmaker said, "Oh come on!" Like she spent all that time talking to us about it. She knew what was going to happen. And you just as well a, whispering. She she totally killed her husband. <laughs> as a viewer, you need to decide who you believe. Uh, but I, I think the thing about this show that I find pretty unforgivable is that, in my opinion, it ultimately paints a sympathetic portrait of Joe Exotic, who is apparently a yep. terrible person. He's a hero. He's he's he, a, he's, he's a, now a folk man. hero. There's people who yeah. want to free Joe Exotic. Yep. Uh, there's a moment the president of the United there's a moment the president in, of the United States got asked a question about oh whether he should pardon Joe Exotic the other day <sighs> during a coronavirus briefing. Um, there's a moment so, in the in the eighth episode in that special where Rick Kirkman, you know, go, it went, where Joe McHale asked him like, "Who would you trust more, the tigers or the or Joe Exotic or something?" And Rick Kirkman is like, "He's an 
awful human being. And you never get that sense that the the filmmakers of the the show are really showing that side to him. I mean, they show yeah, him. I was going to bring up the I was going to bring up the exact same point, yeah. Jeff, which is I right after I watched the show, I read this Vanity Fair piece that had an interview with this guy Rick Kirkham, by the way, is his name. And oh, what was I say, uh, Kirkman? I, he, I'm sorry. Yeah, you said Apologies. Kirkman, and he apparently only allowed himself to be interviewed if the filmmakers would fly to Os- Oslo, Norway, to interview him. And he says, uh, quote, I moved up here to marry my girlfriend about two and a half years ago and quite honestly, to get the hell away from that entire part of my life. It wasn't a subject I wanted to go back to. Uh, The only therapeutic part of this entire scenario was hearing that Joe had been sentenced to more than 20 years in prison. You have to understand, this is one of the cruelest human beings I've ever encountered. He is so cruel and so evil, like something out of the omen, end quote. And when I read that, I realized how far the version of Joe Exotic we got from the show was from the reality. Yeah. You know? Uh, Was that like, yes, he's depicted doing very many terrible things in the show, right? He's feeding his staff leftover Walmart meat. He's shown um, grooming these heterosexual men to be his... uh, Spouses underage. Well, underage. Underage. Grooming is a word for it. Another word would be drugging them. Yeah, drugging them. You know, Um, and of course there is the uh, illegal sale and possibly illegal execution of uh, many of these beautiful tiger animals. The the imprisonment of these animals as well. Uh, So it's not that the show does a uh, does nothing to say that he's a bad person that does questionable things. But fundamentally, to me, it feels like the show tries to recognize his humanity, right? Like, yeah. that's what the show feels like it's trying to do. Well, anyway, sorry, well, the, Jeff, I interrupted you. Well, what the other thing what that, you that um, Kirkham says, th- and he even says in that special, like, th- the show never touches on the fact that Joe Exotic is terrified of tigers, like you, you get you go through this whole show, and the one takeaway that I could say I was a hundred percent sure of is that that dude wa- has has brass balls. You know that dude walks into a tiger cage and feels like he can live to see the, the next moment. You know, like he is fearless when it comes to these things. He's confident, and here's Kirkham saying that that is the biggest lie. Right, that he drugs the animals before uh, he walked into the cage with a blind one and a drugged one to get footage of him in, in cages. He doesn't w- he doesn't like them. He doesn't want to be around. It's like the whole premise is a lie, and to me, fundamentally, that felt like oh, we're this is just a reality show. This is just complete horseshit shoveled to us because these characters are so. You can't take your eye off them in the way you can't take your eye off a, a, a train wreck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that that is ultimately what I think is the show's biggest sin is that it makes Joe Exotic out to be a sympathetic character to the point where many people are on his side. They're saying free Joe Exotic. I, th- this is fascinating. Like I, I, I have seen, I have tweeted about this, and I've seen people have said to me. Well, I left the documentary thinking he's a monster. People in the chat room right now are saying that as well. And that's great. I'm I'm glad you are a discerning viewer. But one of the net effects of something like this is that there are now people on Joe Exotic's side, right? And that, I think, is truly upsetting if 
it is in fact true that he's one of the cruelest human beings that Rick Kirkham has ever met. And he doesn't, he seems like he's lived a, a meaningful life that guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like he seemed like he has seen some shit in his <laughs> yes. life. And if he's saying that Joe Exotic is one of the cruelest people ever, I believe him. I think that means something. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah, I mean, he's, he worked intimately with, with O'Reilly, you know, it's like, <laughs> if he's talking about cruelty exceeding Bill O'Reilly, you know, then yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, another thing that I've seen that's kind of interesting is this idea that Carol Baskin is the hero of the documentary. And I've seen this like written a few more places in one, which is that, oh, she's positioned as the kind of erstwhile hero of this thing. I never got that. You know, I, I no. thought she was, but that's, that's one of the things that is arguably objectionable about the documentary is Carol Baskin is positioned as kind of as bad as Joe Exotic. Right. Yeah. Is that the impression you got? I, I feel like everybody yeah. is positioned as bad, except for John Ranky, who seems like a, just a decent dude. And then the the person, the only person that I think came out, actually, I admired in a lot of ways was Saf, who is the the person that lost an arm and then went to work the next day and continues to have yeah. the most incredibly positive attitude about everything. And in an it's. It's impossible that that you any human could retain that kind of like uh, stiff upper lip, you know, in the face of of the things that must have gone on there. It, it is uh, it's an extraordinary thing watching Saf sit there and go, yeah, you know, I I don't bear any ill will to anybody, I, you know, I, I I don't I I don't bear any ill will to the tiger. I, you know, it's like holy hell! I wish I had a fraction of that kind of. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> indomitable spirit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. I certainly walked away from it thinking that Carol Baskin is equally villainous. And I do think that there are things about her personality that make her very off-putting as depicted in the show. But I do think also the show leaves open these questions of uh, whether or not uh, her animal sanctuary is truly as bad as what Joe Exotic is doing, right? Like you could watch the show mm-hmm. and be like, "Oh, yeah, her, she's running something just as bad as what he's doing." Yeah, and and doing and it I without just, paying people, like it's all volunteers, and she's like, you know, spending millions of dollars on legal fees of their, I, I would assume, donation money. It's it all seems gross. Yeah, uh, but I, I don't know. You know, I mean. So Tampa Bay uh, Times came out with an article recently where she describes how um, she was misled by the filmmakers and how uh, the the sanctuary that she's running is actually very well respected in the animal world. You know, like that many people have said um, here uh, in reality. So T- Tiger King gave Maldonado Passage a platform to falsely describe big cat rescues enclosures as tiny and overgrown. In reality, her smallest enclosure is 1,200 square feet. The largest is two and a half acres and all have elements like bushes, trees, and water features to mimic the natural environments of her exotic animals, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you know, this is her giving her first interview after yeah. the film. So you, you got to take this with a grain of salt as well. But it, it does seem like, hey, it's trying to make Joe Exotic relatable. It's trying to make Carol Baskin theoretically a murderer, but also uh, somebody <laughs> Who well, she, she also, is the Hillary to Joe Exotic's Trump, right? Like that's, that's all it so is. True. Yeah, but it's like it's but her emails, but her emails. <laughs> she may have murdered her husband. It's Benghazi. so true. Man. It's so true. Oh yeah. my god! And I, I, hate I just this. think I hate all of this. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's important to just uh, 
what's what's fascinating to me watching this and watching the reaction is like to see how how much influence a documentary filmmaker can have in terms of how uh peop- real life people are perceived you know which is that with a few mm-hmm. editorial decisions that you don't even recognize in the moment uh when they're doing it you realize like at the end of the say hey i don't like this character even though they may in real life be much more sympathetic than the protagonist of the show uh, now, I'm not saying I'm a big Carl Baskin fan or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm not. But I'm just saying, like, <laughs> ha- having read this interview, it seems like a much more murky picture than what is depicted yeah, in yeah. the show. And so. also, like, those big, the captured cats, you can't, it's not like you can release them into the wild. They have nowhere else to go, so they have to go to a place sort of like that. Mm. So there is a need for a sanctuary like that. I'm also just going to say one other thing, uh, which is if you're actually looking for a good documentary about this this subject, uh, I would say there is a, a movie called The Elephant in the Room, I think. Um, have you guys heard of this movie? Uh, I saw it at a, mm. um, a film festival a while ago, and it was uh, – let's see if I can find details about it. The Elephant in the Room is an American documentary about the topic of exotic pets kept in homes in the United States and about the controversy surrounding this topic. Uh, this was released in 2011. It was directed by Michael Weber. And it, it, it is just a remarkable fact that there are more tigers in captivity in America than out in the wild, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that, uh, by coincidence, many of the people who own these exotic animals uh, have some kind of personality disorder at least is depicted in this show like like that's one of the things that, one of the takeaways in the show that i didn't feel bad about is the idea that like if you own an exotic pet or you're keeping an exotic pet or you're breeding exotic pets uh yeah. that th- it's because you like the power it's very likely that you like the power that comes with that and that probably says something about you you know, it's kind of one of the points I think the, sh- the show was making. Yeah, man. Do you guys get that impression? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I I kept just being, just marveling at the idea that anybody would want to cuddle with a tiger cub. Like, it just doesn't sound like something I would want to do at any point ever. Um, I don't know. I think there's this, yeah, there's this idea of, right, like being near mm-hmm. this thing that will one day be dangerous, yeah. right? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm touching and hugging this thing that yeah. is not dangerous right now, but one day it will be. Um, but when it's not, it's actually pretty adorable. Um, and, and it's, and it's rare. It's rare. You know, this, this is what happens when you have an Instagram influencer arms race of, we need to take pictures of like 50,000 other people have already taken picture of that ice cream sundae next to that cool wall. Like we need to have tigers now. Um, so it's also kind of this commentary on influencer culture, celebrity culture, right? Like what is it that we want to associate ourselves with. So I w- I mean, I wish I had spent more time with that. Yeah. Like this show dedicated a whole episode <laughs> to the Carol Baskin mu- uh, husband murder thing. And I was, I sat there shocked. Like this is, what are we, you've <laughs> lost the thread somewhere, like somewhere. This, this is a seven episode series and an entire episode is dedicated to, she may or may not have killed her husband and everything seems so flimsy. And the only accusations are coming from Joe exotic. I'm like, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. Uh, I agree with you completely, Dundra. I will say, pretty suspicious that she changed her will to in the event of my, or the guy's <laughs> will to the in the event of my disappearance. Now, that does not mean, my wife pointed out to me, that th- that does not mean that she killed him. 
Because maybe yeah, yeah. he did disappear and she's just like, I want to yeah. figure out a better way to access this money because he's gone. I, I love the conversations with the cops because like the documentarian's like trying to <laughs> trying to like catch the the cop in like a trap right. of like bad investigation or something. The cop's like, dude, this is my life. This but is my job. Cop, dude, this even what the I cop do. is sitting yeah. in front of like this monkey table. You know, it's like what, yeah, what yeah. bizarro world. All the set dressing, in? all the set well, dressing Florida, in this man. movie is incredible. You know, Florida, it's just Florida. in the series. Okay. I yeah, say. it's like oh, we're gonna we're it gonna just... we're gonna talk to the <laughs> the uh, chief investigator, the most you know the most buttoned down dude that's probably gonna appear this <laughs> entire documentary. You know what would be great? Why don't you sit right next to your monkey table in front of this uh, <laughs> crazy mirror? Uh, it's like what, what this? It's just it's bonkers. It's bonkers. So, at the end of the day, this documentary contributes very little to our understanding of animals in captivity in the United States. Yeah. We are all dumber for having seen it. cares about that, quite frankly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it it, it is very possibly morally questionable the methods under which this documentary were made. Um, And yeah, uh, it's contributed nothing of value. May God have mercy on our souls. For watching, it. I mean, I guess that's the end of our conversation. But uh, and, I mean, like, who's your favorite? <laughs> Gotta love it. <laughs> who do you think would play? Who do you want to play Joe Exotic in yeah. the movie? I mean, we haven't talked about. Well, listen, if we, we haven't had, talked if about we, Jeff Lowe yet, and if, that dude just seems like the uh, worst human. Yep. What a creep. <laughs> the worst human. What a creep. Well, listen, if we had to put a you know an end cap on America, I feel yeah. like this is pretty fitting. What I you thought know, was this is it. What I thought was fascinating about the Jeff Lowe thing is. The documentary very clearly intimates that he is likely going to be arrested in the future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then, but Jeff Lowe is just like, "Yep, just walking around, living his life, watching the documentary, talking about it, yeah. giving interviews and the special about it." Yeah, uh, Jeff Lowe talking to his pregnant wife. Why don't we get yeah. a hot nanny? Uh, you, my yeah. my favorite thing is is <laughs> the great. shots of the Jeff Lowe and that uh, the dude he partners with at the end. Uh, the dude he partners with is like. Wearing cutoff shorts and no shirt and sweating, and Jeff Lowe is in fourteen layers of leather, you know, and and six headbands and a hat, all black, in the Oklahoma sun. And I'm like, what, what, what is hat? What is this? <laughs> what is this? Indeed, indeed. Uh, these that's you know, the, the right. answer to the what is this is people who all know they're on a reality show. That's what that is. That's people who are he dressed in his costume for the character he was playing. And 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 they all did and they all knew about it. They all knew. They I, I think every single person who was involved in this was playing a character on a TV show. I do think that we are starting to see the blurring of the lines between reality and documentary in a really intense way. And this uh this show is the latest example of that. And I think we're going to see more stuff like this in the future. This is so successful. We're going to see more stuff like this in the future where something begins as a documentary and theoretically is going to be a dispassionate examination of something. And more. Listen, guys, imagine once, uh, hopefully, Trump will leave office at some point. What do you think is going to happen to that guy? Straight up TV network, straight up (laughs) Netflix show. It's never going to end. Never going to end. Yeah. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be with us for the rest of our lives. So, yeah. And on that note, I think we can wrap up the podcast. Uh, and probably, and when I say wrap up the podcast, I mean this is the I last I was going to say, at least the there's show. nothing no, else depressing <laughs> going on in the world. <laughs> I'm just joking. We're going to be back next week. Yeah. Time um, to think of the nice walk outside, by walk outside, outside I mean straight into the about. sea. <laughs> 
This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. The spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger, although we didn't use it today. And the theme song was by AdamWarrock.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast.com. And next week, stay tuned. Here we'll be discussing... In the meantime, Jeff Kanata, where can I find more of your work on the internet? Well, I have several other shows for you to check out if you're so inclined, including my video game show. If you want to hear me talk more about uh, more about uh, Half-Life Alex, we had uh, Greg Miller, Game Over Greggy himself, on uh, this week. And you can find that. Uh, it's called DLC. You can find it at 5x5.tv slash DLC or wherever you get podcasts. I also do a live play Dungeons & Dragons show called The Dungeon Run which, uh, as I said, we've figured out a way to do during this weird time where we're all uh, working from home. And I think the show is still really rocking. Last week's episode was extraordinarily good. Uh, we had some really poignant, lovely moments with the characters. You can check that out uh, as an audio podcast by searching for The Dungeon Run, wherever you get podcasts. You can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run there. Or you can watch us live Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time when we record at caffeine.tv slash the Dungeon Run, and I brought back uh, an old podcast that I used to do with Anthony Carboni. We are doing it once again. It's a science comedy show called We Have Concerns. We used to do it as three short episodes a week. Now we are doing it as one big long episode a week, but it still has the uh, science news that you didn't know you needed to know and all the jokes that we can stick into it. Um, you can find that at wehaveconcerns.com or wherever you get podcasts. How about you, Devendra? You can find me on Twitter at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com. I'm also hosting the Engadget podcast, so be sure to check that out. Uh, I just did an interview with Alex Garland, the creator of Devs on Hulu, which is an amazing show. So go listen to that and uh, watch Devs. Maybe we can do like an After Dark on Devs next week if we have some time. Um, But uh, anyway, uh, check out my other podcast, Culturally Relevant. And you can find that anywhere uh, podcasts are downloaded or culturallyrelevantshow.com. Also, if you want to hear more discussion about Westworld, I do a Westworld podcast called DecodingWestworld.com with, uh, or DecodingWestworld at DecodingWestworld.com with Joanna Robinson. All right, folks. So next week, we have a special guest. I'm not going to say who the guest is because uh, I'm superstitious and I don't want to jinx it because sometimes guests can cancel or whatever. And also, if you uh, say the guest's so name three times in a row, they appear in front of you and murder you. They appear, yeah, and you don't want that to Ooh. happen because that's pretty scary. Uh, but I'm very, ex- I'm extremely excited about this guest. Um, he is an inspiration for me personally. Uh, and Dave, uh, Dave, what we're we're Dave, doing I'm here yep. every week. <laughs> It's true, Jeff, but sometimes I like to pump up oh, your appearance. Okay. Right. Um, anyway, uh, so what, what we did with this guest, who will hopefully be on next week, is we offered them uh, uh, the opportunity to choose the movie that we're going to review. And the movie this guest chose was Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder, which is actually my favorite Bong Joon-ho movie. The difficulty is that uh, it, this is a very difficult movie to actually find these days. So we're going to try to make sure we can all locate copies of it uh, but yeah, that's going to be the plan is Memories of Murder, but we may change. So apologies in advance if that happens. But currently the plan is Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder. It should be a fascinating conversation. So if you have a chance, buy that DVD or Blu-ray from eBay <laughs> and catch up in advance uh, of next week's episode of the podcast. It's going to be a great conversation. 
Thanks for listening to the, the Slash Filmcast. We'll see you next week.